you have your Bible with you, if you have a smartphone, tablet, whatever you have to use to get into this word, we're going to dive into this today. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're ready. I hope you brought your, your underlying utensils, which would be a pen or a highlighter. I am, I am a big fan of, of writing in my Bible. If you guys, if you guys don't do that, if, if you like the crispness of your Bible, get a different one and have two. Because this one actually I don't write in because if I tried to read the, the Bible I had in my Bible college days, I, I can't even read half of it at this point. There's so many notes. Strongly encourage you to do that because it says something about the character of people that interact with the Word of God. So if you use your smartphone, I mean, that's fine too. You can highlight there, but there is a special place in heaven. That's heresy. That's, stop it. That's heresy. Just smell books. You ever smell them? Just me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Before we lose uh, our way, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be camped. So while you guys are there, I'm, I'm going to pray really quick. God, thank you for this morning, God. We can come into your house and we can celebrate who you are and what you are doing. God, I just pray that today, today we would have an amazing time celebrating you. That tonight we would come, come together again and just celebrate you more, God. Speak to us today through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if anyone's curious, uh, I'm not Pastor Jason. Pastor Jason will be back tonight. Um, they didn't really get to sneak out for their anniversary at the beginning of the year, so they are doing that really today, but they have to be back tonight, so they don't even get a whole day off. Um, but we gave them some time off. So I encourage you, be here tonight. If not tonight, come back next week if you have never had the chance to hear Pastor Jason preach because he is an amazing communicator of the word. Good? Everyone coming back? Good. I hope to see you guys next week um, before the Super Bowl because that happens next week. I don't really care because I don't like those teams. Once the Vikings get back in, we'll discuss it. So, before we dive into our passage today, let's go back to holy things. Before we dive into our passage today, first thing, whenever we crack open this book, some of the most important things that we need to know are found in the context. Context. What are the, what are the three most important rules of real estate? Anyone know them? Location, location, location. Three most important rules of Bible study? Context, context. You got the third one. Good job. Context is so important because it tells us what the writer is actually trying to tell us in the text, right? So let's run through some things. Matthew chapter 8, what's happening? Healings, left and right. Jesus is just healing everybody. Anyone that shows up, Jesus is like, mm, take care of your illness, your stuff. And then moving into chapter 9, we have another healing. This one's a little bit more important. Not more important. There's more detail to this that plays into what we're going to talk about in a second. And it goes like this. There's a, a paralytic. There's a guy that can't walk that a couple guys are bringing to Jesus. They're, they're presenting him to Jesus. And Jesus, just seeing the guys bring him, he's like, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to do anything. Seeing your faith, your sins are forgiven. Which, of course, infuriates the religious leaders. They're like, you can't do that. Why not? Because technically that is blasphemy. Technically that is completely wrong to do. But Jesus is, Jesus is God, so he gets to do that. In fact, while these guys are mad, Jesus is like, I understand that, that you don't fully get what's happening here. I, I know that this, this is making you very upset. I have something that's going to make you even more upset. Because I'm going to tell him to walk, too. Which, by definition, is stamping the approval that I have the authority to say that. Jesus is saying, not only do I forgive him of his sins, 
I'm going to show you that that's valid by healing him. Which makes him really happy, right? <laughs> Religious leaders uh, frown. They frown a lot. Who are those guys in the Muppets that always had the frowns? You think, think, imagine those guys. All the Pharisees, whenever you think of a Pharisee in the Bible, just the Muppets with them. That'll change your life. So Jesus is essentially picking his first fight with the Pharisees, which leads us into maybe a second fight. We're going to find out. So Matthew chapter 9, we are in verse 9. Um, and there's a couple things that, that we need to know about this first. So this is essentially the story or the, the call of Matthew. Most of your Bibles will say the call of Matthew or Jesus calls Matthew, something, something like that. Matthew is writing this book. So it's kind of Matthew telling you his story in a very brief fashion, but a very loaded fashion. There's a couple things we need to know about Matthew. First, Matthew is a tax collector. Now, there isn't really a cultural equivalent to what a tax collector is. We can think kind of like an IRS agent, because um, no one really likes them. Sorry if you work with the IRS. But usually it kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth, right? You're not super excited about the guys that are taking your taxes. He is a tax collector, but the tax collectors of this particular time are very different than what we would think of as a tax collector. So there's this super intelligent guy. His name's uh, Dr. Alfred, before I butcher his last name, Edersheim. Uh, you guys don't need to know that, because if any of you have read his book, come talk to me. We're going to be best friends. Um, he has, he has done a bunch of study in this, and he, he essentially comes up with there were two different types of tax collectors during this time, right? The first one we call the Gabai. Now, this particular tax collector, he collects tax on, say, property, income, the things that we're used to being taxed on that we're not excited about but we kind of accept, right? You know that when you get that check, there's going to be a line on there that's like, you got this money, but we took it back. Let us give you a paper trail of that transaction, just so you know that we took it. No one else thinks that way? Uh, it, it was funny, I saw, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was on Facebook, there was a, like a, two pictures. One was, this guy's like, my brother getting his first paycheck, and he's really excited as he's cracking it open. And then the next picture, he's like, my brother finding out about taxes. <laughs> he was less excited. So there are two different types of tax collectors. The goodbye are the ones that Take the normal tax that we don't like, but we just accept. There's another type of tax collector. It's the Maquess. They tax you on everything else. Really, anything else. And there's no list of, like, you can be taxed on this and this and this. There's no general ledger that you can go to and be like, well, I'm going to be taxed on this so I can prepare for it. There's no preparation. They're just like, I see you have this, this, and this in your bag. Well, it just so happens that on this thing that I just wrote, you owe taxes on it. Give me your money. That's essentially the mock Hess. Now, there are two different types of mock Hess. It's a it's brief history, I swear. We'll be over it soon. There are two different types of mock Hess tax collectors. One of them is essentially the, the guy that runs the business. He stays in the background. Um, he doesn't really like to be known as the bad guy, so he kind of sends his cronies out to do the bad guy's work, right? He likes to kind of hide his face from whatever's happening. Then there's the other mock Hess that likes to be right in your face and tell you, I'm taking your money. This is Matthew. This is the type of tax collector that Matthew is. So when we read Paul later in the Bible say, I'm the chief of sinners, Matthew's pretty close up there too. In fact, all tax collectors 
have been excommunicated by the Jewish population. They're not even allowed to go to temple. They're not allowed to go to synagogue. That would be like us saying, if you work in accounting, which I do, it would be very frustrating for me. If you work in accounting, you're actually not allowed in church. Please leave. Kind of the same deal that's happening. Nobody likes Matthew. He is a government-sanctioned thief, essentially. Because essentially what the government's doing is saying, hey, I need, I need you to collect taxes. You owe me this much money. Whatever you collect above that, you can keep. Which sounds like a really good deal, because the government's saying you can do whatever you want, make as much money as you want, you're good to go. Just make sure you pay us. If you don't pay us, then we have a problem. But anything you collect above, it's all yours. Go crazy. That's Matthew. There's another thing we need to know about Matthew. Matthew is living in a very particular time and a very particular place, which is the time and place of Jesus Christ. Kind of a big deal. We don't really know how big of a deal because we're all alive now. It's not 33. Never mind. Kind of a big deal because there's a lot that's happening with just Jesus being present in life. There's a lot of things that are, that are changing. There's a lot of conversations that are happening. If Matthew is anything like me, because he's a numbers guy, because I'm a numbers guy, those of us that, that are a numbers guy, we found out a couple weeks ago, some of us like numbers, some of us do not. We're calculated. We like to think about things. We analyze certain things. We like to see how certain variables play into our business, our life, this and that. I think Jesus, or I think Matthew may have thought just a little bit, what is this Jesus guy, what impact is he going to have on my, my business? Because if, if you guys have gone through this um, in the past few months, you may have thought, with our presidential situation, how is my life going to be affected by whichever one of these are elected, right? Have you thought about how your business is going to play out if one candidate is elected over another candidate? That's kind of what I think about when I think of Matthew, because if Jesus were to overthrow the government, which is not Jesus' plan, but a lot of his disciples want him to do this, that rumbling has started. If Jesus were to overthrow the government, Matthew would have to run away quickly, because he is no longer protected by the government. Everyone that he doesn't like, or everyone that doesn't like him, Pretty much has free reign to be like, I'm sure the Jews would be okay with like, yeah, we can get rid of him. Just fishes, feed him to the, they weren't a mob. They are the Pharisees. We'll hear about them in a little bit. But I feel like Matthew would have calculated this. He would have thought about that. Like, this Jesus guy, I'm probably not good for business. Right now it doesn't matter because I got the Roman government. They're okay with me. Everyone else is not, but... <laughs> the Romans are here, so he can't do anything. <laughs> Give me your money. That's not how Matthew is, but he may have been. Who knows? I think there's another thing that, that Matthew would have thought about. Now, this isn't in the Bible. I'm, this is all from one verse. We're getting a lot from one verse. But have you ever thought what your life might be like if you made a different decision? Let's say you took this job instead of that. Or... You went, you went to school for, for this degree instead of that degree. Or you made some big decision that, that altered your life. Did you ever think of what, what your life would look like if you made those decisions? Did you ever think about that? I feel like there's, 
there's times where, where we kind of go down those trails. And potentially Matthew may have done this too. I'm not saying he did, but let's, let's think for a second. If, if Matthew is thinking about these, this Jesus is bad for business, this Jesus is not going to help me make more money, and I really like money, but no one really likes me. I, I wonder, what would life be like if I wasn't, if I wasn't hated by everyone? Maybe I, I did something drastic and just decided... I'm not going to do this. But that's foolish. I'm doing well. My wallet is full. We are good. And then he moves on with his day. Maybe. Let's read a little. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. That's where we get the tax booth thing. Marques, goodbye. You'll be, you'll be quizzed on it later, so I hope you guys wrote down those words. Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Here's why I think there's a little bit more going on in Matthew's head, because Jesus tends to know where we're at spiritually. He tends to know where we're at physically, mentally. He's not surprised by these things. There are some times where Jesus shows up at the appropriate time, and you'll notice in here, Jesus didn't ask a question. Jesus wasn't asking Matthew anything. Jesus knew exactly where Matthew was spiritually and what he did. Matthew, it's time. Follow me. And we find out just afterwards, and he rose and followed him. Luke's account tells us he, he left everything and followed him. Everything that he had... He, the, the, him being a tax collector did not make him popular. He had no friends to run to. Hey, are you looking for someone to do your books? He didn't have that. He left everything. The Roman government, like I said, does not look favorably on you if you leave your post. Matthew left everything, except maybe a handful of friends that we might find out about in a second. And it's amazing because Jesus, knowing where each of us are, and I'm not saying this is where you guys are, but maybe you are, maybe Jesus is done asking, and there's a time where Jesus is going to show up, he's going to say, follow me. Follow me. It's no longer a request. Sometimes, Jesus, knowing our spiritual situation, says, follow me. I don't know what that looks like for each of us. It's in there. Maybe we'll touch on that later. We'll see. It's amazing that Matthew just needs an invitation. He was willing to give it up. Just to give it up. There was no previous conversation that he had with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. He says, Then verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, which Luke will tell us is Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So not only was Matthew's life radically changed, 
He called his tax collector buddies, which probably were his only friends. He's like, guys, I'm having a party. Come over. We'll have some wine. We'll have some grape juice, depending on your background. (laughs) And I got this guy that I just met. I want you guys to meet him. His life has radically changed, and he doesn't want to hold that for himself. So he throws a party. Who doesn't like a good party with donuts after service? He ends up introducing him to all of his friends, which may not be that many. Poor guy. And then this, this is my favorite part. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, they didn't even go to Jesus, the cowardice sometimes They didn't even go to Jesus and said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Which is justifiable when you think about it, because these guys were excommunicated. Jesus, a rabbi in sense, is eating with tax collectors and sinners, which you don't do. The Jewish leaders are saying, this is unheard of. You should not do, he should not do this. Again, he's not even talking to Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. Jesus should not be here. There's this idea in the Bible. Old Testament, whenever you touched something unclean, you became unclean. But when Jesus shows up, that's reversed. Whatever Jesus touches, whether unclean or not, becomes clean. Jesus has that power. Jesus has that that authority. And then, of course, because Jesus hears everything, but when he heard it, when Jesus heard what these guys were saying to his disciples, not to himself, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn. Essentially, what he's saying is, go and study your own book, because I'm pulling this straight from it. This is from Hosea 6. Go and learn what this means, because I know you read this book every day. Figure this one out. I require mercy and not sacrifice. And he's not saying, hey, go, go do a word study on some of these things, because this isn't that difficult. I require mercy and not sacrifice. It's kind of slapping him across the face. I don't know if Jesus wouldn't do that. Emotionally, maybe. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Essentially saying, I recognize that you think you're amazing. You have all the self-righteousness in the world that you need. you got to deal with that on your own, because I'm here for them. I'm here for the people that recognize they need help. These are my favorite. I get really excited when Jesus tells off the Pharisees. You're really excited about it. And then it gets ruined. I'm going to tell you why. In Luke chapter 18, there's a particular story that Jesus says. He tells us of this story of a a tax collector or a sinner sitting on, on one corner. They're actually in the synagogue. Doesn't even raise his eyes to heaven. Beats his chest and says, God, forgive me for I am a sinner. And then there's another guy over on this side who is a Pharisee. And he's, he raises his head to heaven and he says, God, thank you that I am not like this sinner. And he says, which one of those two are justified? And I'm like, yeah! 
Jesus, tell them off. Tell them. God, thank you so much that I'm not like that Pharisee. Therein come the Pharisee himself. There was a time where I got really excited when Jesus tells off the Pharisees. Now I have about a second to enjoy it before I realize, oh, that's me. There are certain parts of the Bible that sometimes I wish I could take out. But we are not allowed to take it out. If we only believe part of this book, we don't believe any of it. The whole thing is truth. Even the parts we don't like. It's God doing a work in us. So be careful whenever you celebrate the Pharisees being told off. It doesn't end well for me. I mean, you. <laughs> Take some of the excitement out of it. Which is good. That's how we grow. That's how I grow. As much as it hurts often. It's amazing that there's no other religion that kicks out the guys on the inside. Have you ever thought about that? What we would think of as the religious establishment, no other, no other religion kicks those guys out because they kind of call the shots, right? But it's Jesus who calls the shots. When we try and take over that and make it our own thing, Jesus is like, nope, get out of my church. No other religion. There's something unique about following Jesus. There's something extraordinary about following Jesus. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. There's a couple things that this story tells us that I'm really excited about. Some of them. Some are more exciting than others. Some hurt. But there, there are three different things that we, we're learning from this particular story. First thing is, first thing we learn we are not who we say we are. You are not who you say you are. You're not who anyone else says you are. You are not defined by the things that other people say about you. You are who God says you are. Because here's the deal. There were a lot of people telling Matthew who he was, who he could hang out with, where he could be, how he could, how he could respond to things. There were a lot of people that wanted to tell Matthew who he was. And all of that was destroyed with a single request, follow me. Everything changed. Because this guy that was supposed to be excommunicated from the religious circle was one of the 12. One of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 guys that turned this world upside down. He was supposed to be cast out. He was supposed to, he was a part of the government. Have you ever thought about this? I think about this often. Matthew was a tax collector. I just kind of described who Matthew is. There's another one of the 12 disciples called Simon the Zealot. They technically should have killed each other. Two people that hate each other to the bone are a part of Jesus' inner circle. It's amazing where unity comes from. It looks, it looks very different. What does Jesus say that we are, though? We are the image bearers of the highest king. Each one of us are made in the image and likeness of the transcendent creator, 
The God above everything, the God of the universe, has called us image bearers. Every one of us, if you are called a human being, you are an image bearer of God. An image bearer. Those of us that don't like people are not liking the image of God. There has been crazy things that have been happening in the news this week. Two very, very extreme sides of, of an argument. How many of us, very much including myself, have stood on the corner and said, thank you, God, that I am not like those people. When some of us just need to bow our heads and beat our chest. I'm no more righteous than anybody else. It's through faith, the saving grace of Jesus, that any of us are even here. We have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to be the image of God. To respond as the image of God. To not be Pharisees standing on corners saying, hey, I'm better than you. We can respond differently. I require mercy, not sacrifice. At least to me, never has it been more apparent in our society. Yeah. We're just a bunch of Pharisees. Not you guys. <laughs> just, just me. You're not who you say you are. You're not who they say you are. You're only who Jesus says you are. You're an image bearer of the king. Every one of us, every person, no matter what has happened, every person is an image bearer of the king. We all bear that. That's why we don't murder. That's why we don't steal from people. That's why we don't slander people's name, because each person is the image of God. That is so valuable. We are so valuable. Another thing this story tells us, Jesus isn't just interested in you. He is interested in your surroundings. But what we see from Matthew is Matthew's life was changed in an instant. And what did he do about it? He threw a party, which is a great idea. Soon as something good happens from Jesus, let's throw a party. Jesus wants to be in your surroundings. I don't know what that always looks like for us. Sometimes it's a party. Yes, let's throw a party. Let's, let's bring Jesus to the party. Maybe it's a family gathering. Let's bring Jesus to the family gathering so we can get some righteousness in there. There's this new, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite bands that came out with a new album. Uh, it's not new. I don't know why I say it's new. I think it came out like a year or two ago. I just found it and like it. It's new for me. I've been playing it on repeat for like the whole week in my office. Now, I don't play it loud because that's offensive, but if anyone had to come into my office and talk to me for any reason, they're going to hear the terms Jesus, Savior, Salvation, a handful of other ones at least 10 times before they leave. It's not something I really shy away from. When we first started our church, we had door hangers. We went around. It was a terrible time. It was January. It was February. No, it was, we were doing it. Yeah, we were doing it in January and February. Sidewalks were ice. Slipping and... I'm sure we had insurance then, but it wasn't technically... A, yeah, 
Needless to say, I still have one of those door hangers. Don't tell Pastor Jason that I kept one. But I still have one of those hanging in my office. We've come a long way in four years. Yeah. We're going to be celebrating our anniversary coming up pretty soon. I don't really shy away from, from who Jesus is, what he's doing. He wants to be a part of our surroundings. Whatever that looks like for us, he's blasting worship tunes in our house. That's what we do because my daughters sing a lot. Sometimes I'm really excited about their singing. Other times I'm like, where did you hear that? It was the devil. In Jesus' name. What do your surroundings look like? In your car, what type of tunes are you listening to? The conversations that you're having, what do those conversations look like? Is Jesus involved in your surroundings? He wants to be. Matthew shows us how quickly that can happen. Change. Guys, come over. There's a game on. Let's talk about Jesus during these commercials that are getting more and more Yes, that's a good word. Don't keep it PG. I, I can no longer watch the game with my daughters because those commercials are getting a little too out, outrageous. Alas, a rant for another time. There's one more thing that I find in this story that's so, that's so good. Jesus offers radical change. Jesus offers radical change. Not just, we could be happier tomorrow. Things are going to go good for a little while. Jesus offers radical change. Now, I don't know a lot of how all of us are, are doing in our walks. I don't know where, we're are, where we are in life. I don't know what life is throwing at us. I don't know what radical change can look like in a lot of your lives. I don't know what that means. I'm hoping that as this is, this is coming out, as, as these verses are being discussed and opened up, I'm praying that what's happening is the Spirit is doing a work in you where you're starting to maybe see, maybe put your finger on, maybe, maybe that's some radical change. Maybe it's something where you're leaving the country. Maybe it's something where you're doing some sort of missions trip. It doesn't have to be overseas. Maybe it's in your backyard. Maybe that radical change is Jesus wants to change you today, and then you just bring him to your surroundings. That could be radical for some of us. Maybe there's a big step in life that you're so afraid to do because it means sacrifice. It means changing a lot of things. Jesus offers radical change. For Matthew, it was life-altering. For Paul, it was life-altering. For every character we read in this book where Jesus has had an interaction, it has been life-altering, except for the Pharisees. But we have mercy for them now, right? Jesus wants to do something really cool. 
And I don't know what it is. I hope that you guys know what it is. Shortly, there's going to be an opportunity. If you've never actually said, yeah, I want to, I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I just want to throw that out there. There's an opportunity to take a step closer to Jesus, whatever that looks like. Whether that means for the first time saying, yeah, I want to follow you. Whether you're following Jesus looks a little more seasoned. Maybe Jesus wants to bring you back to some of the basic stuff. Maybe Jesus wants you to open up this book a little bit more. Maybe Jesus just wants to talk to you a little bit more. These could be radical changes for us. It could be more than that. Maybe you're steady in this book. Maybe you want to look for something further, some further education. Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to look into some seminary. I'm just, some of the best times of my life. I don't know what, what radical steps are, are ahead for you guys. I have an idea they're going to be pretty good. And I hope that some of those radical steps are with us as a church because there's a city out here that needs to know Jesus. And I'm hoping that as a partnership, as a church, as we continue to grow, we can make a change in this city. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? Jesus says, go and change the world. Let's do it. Sometimes we think too much about this. What does that mean? What do you mean change the world? Like, rearrange a map? Having a conversation with someone? There's an opportunity for radical change in each of our lives to help Jesus change this world. Because if you haven't noticed, there's something broken about it. pray that as we work through this, and I hope that you guys can dive back into this a little bit more, I hope you guys can go through some of these verses that we've, we've done, and that you can, you can focus in on these things where this, it's five, ver four verses, five verses, I'm a math guy, <laughs> no, I hope that as you go through these during the day, you can pick out things and be like, that's interesting. I never saw that there before. The context of this is amazing. If you keep reading, there's a, there's a spot that Jesus gets to where he talks about radical change. There's, there's a girl that is dead. And this guy, his name's Jairus. He comes in, he's like, Jesus, my child's dead. But I know that you can do something radical. Would you come wake her from the dead? I don't want to spoil it for you, but he does. Sorry. <laughs> Later in the same chapter, the girl that's been bleeding for 12 years just knows if she touches Jesus, she just touches part of his shirt. Radical change happens. Will you guys stand with me?